0: yeah hi uh this is a paper by jessica fritz my student and Johannes johannes that's me we're both from the johannes kepler university linz uh jessica did all the work and i did all the chess playing so that was about the distribution of flavor in this and the talk will be a lot about chess that's Why I am giving it. Um, So, what we are doing here is we are motivated by explainable AI, and the AI in our case is not deep learning, but it is chess. And the problems are quite similar. In deep learning, you usually have the problem that you learn a neural network, for example, and the neural network makes a prediction, and you don't really understand the prediction because you don't know how the neural network really is configured and what function it it computes. And there are some techniques for making that uh, that, uh, interpretable. And in chess, you have more or less the same problem. The chess engines compute very good moves. You know exactly how they are computed, but you cannot really explain why a certain move is better than a different one except for looking at the at the score in the end. maybe a very famous example is Gary Kasparov here, when he lost against Deep Blue, um, due to a move which he thought was very human like, he was very unsettled, and he asked, show me the printouts, which meant he wanted to see a justification why the machine made this move and not uh, some other moves. Um, so that cannot be really extracted very well from a chess program right now. And uh, we're not claiming that we can do that after our work, but we did uh, a few steps and we were building on something uh, that is already there as I will explain in a minute. First, what are we looking for? So this is a chess position here. And uh, what you want to find is move justifications in the way uh, that we want to mark important squares. So in this, uh, in the, in this position here, for example, the knight moves to the, defi- well, maybe first, there's a threat here. So the queen can deliver a mate, but this square is protected by the knight. Uh, so you cannot, if the knight wouldn't be there, the black knight, you would win immediately as the white. So your goal is to get that knight out. So you can move here which would be a very good move because it threatens the queen. It also threatens this dangerous knight, but uh, it can also be taken by this black pawn. Uh, but there is a second threat to that knight. So when you take, you can also take then with uh, with the bishop this knight here. And uh, now you have two threats. Bishop takes queen, which is winning. And queen delivers mate, which is Winning right away, and you can, and black cannot bar both of them. Uh, so that's a very complex dynamic, uh, and what we are trying to do is at least illustrate that a little bit by marking, sorry, by marking the important squares here. So uh, here, the blue, these are important for this entire combination. And uh, as I said, there's already a method that can deliver that to some extent. Uh, And that is based on what is called perturbation based saliency map. That's a very general idea that can also be found in in deep learning. Uh, What you do is you have some sort of black box here in the middle, and that black box uh, delivers some output. So you can imagine uh, you input some values and it outputs some response. It could be a neural network or it could be a chess engine. The inputs are a board position, the output is a, uh, is a move, or the inputs are some image, and the output is a classification, what is on the image. And what these perturbation-based techniques now do is, in order to find out what features, these are called features that go in here, what features are important for computing the output, you try to disturb these features, or you perturb these features and watch the response. So maybe here we change the input from zero to one, and we watch the output. Then in this case, it hasn't changed. So we can say, may, maybe F one is not all that important because it didn't have an influence on the output. You do the same with F two. You change it from zero to one, uh, from one, one to zero, and here the output suddenly has changed. We now have zero instead of one. So maybe this was an important feature. And you repeat that with all the features, and then you get some blue ones, which are the ones that you consider important, salient, and the gray ones, which you consider not important. And on the chessboard, the features would be the positions of the pieces on the board, the blue ones, and the gray ones are those that were not uh, marked. And we're building on a... Technique that is called SARFA, specific, specific and relevant feature attribution, that was published by these guys uh, up here uh, at ICLR last year and is publicly available. And we we played around a little bit uh, with that and tried to uh, analyze it specifically for the games, uh, game of chess. It was previously applied to chess as well, but also to Go, to Breakout, to Pong. Uh, so to Atari games, board games and, and other things, it's very general. And we wanted to analyze it specifically for uh, chess. In chess, the features are, as you have seen, the locations of the pieces on the board. The perturbations are removing a piece from a board. Uh, and SARFA contributed one key insight to this entire uh, uh, perturbation based approach and the insight is it's not really important to watch how the score changes when uh, you change or when you remove a beast but how the evaluation of the move in comparison to other moves changes. So to illustrate that here we have again this position and it has an evaluation by stockfish of, of plus 5 which is approximately one rook ahead so, uh, Stockfish recognizes that this is a very good position for be- white because it sees that combination. Uh, and now we look at that rook here, down here, the red one, uh, that doesn't contribute anything to our, uh, to our combination. So what is if we, what if we remove them, uh, we remove it. So we get that position. And our evaluation if that position suddenly drops to minus two so we are clearly worse off. So this has, has an, a profound impact on the evaluation of that position, removing that rook. But the best move is still the same, we still want to move the knight here and try this combination, we will probably win the queen of the other but it will not be as valuable because we are already a rook down. So the idea of what to play remains entirely the same, regardless of whether this rook here is here or not. So this rook is not really salient. And, uh, But conversely, if we look at, for example, the, the, the opposing rook here, uh, if you remember, that was marked as blue. Why? Because it's seemingly not important for the action, but it actually is because it prevents the king from, from escaping here. So if we remove that rook, uh, oh sorry, This queries should be on, on F8 here. Uh, if we remove that rook, the evaluation goes up for White, but only a little bit by two points. A rook is usually worth five points. Uh, so uh, we, but more importantly, the move has entirely changed. Now this combination would not work anymore. And the best move is actually to retreat this knight to the center here and uh, quietly enjoy the advantage of the rook that we already have. Uh, So this rook here would be important. This rook down here would be not important. That is the key idea of SARFA. In both cases, the evaluation changes substantially, but not in one case, the ordering of the moves. All right. Uh, so for doing that, SARFA computes a saliency score. I'm not going into the details here. Uh, you can read that up in their paper. Uh, essentially, it computes something like uh, the difference in the probability that the move is selected. So it's a normalized move score, essentially, uh, and in the distribution of all other moves. So it's a KL divergence between the distribution of all other moves. And these are combined with the harmonic means. So what did we do with that, with SARFA? Uh, we looked specifically at chess. We tried it for different engines. We wanted to see whether the engines have any effect on the explanations. We played with some weak engines, some strong engines. We tried different types of positions. Originally, it was only tried for tactical positions where you have lots of combinations, uh, but they're also quiet, strategical, positional types of uh, chess positions. Uh, And we found some limitations, and we tried to fix some of them. So here is what we found for the engines. You see that they are uh, very weak engines by uh, by a machine standard, at least, fruit has an Elo rating of two thousand five hundred, which would still be very good for a human. But compared to the best one, stockfish, the two versions, and and to Lila Chess, which is a Alpha Zero clone, uh, that that's about thousand points less. So that doesn't stand a chance against these. Uh, But the explanations that you get from these engines are very, very similar. So that doesn't seem to have such an uh, effect. What we show here, by the way, you should look at the curve in the middle. Uh, So we annotated positions from various sets, we annotated them by marking the squares that we considered important. And we uh, then looked how many of these are also marked up by the. Uh, by the engines. So for for these two, we marked them up ourselves. And and we also included those that were included in the original uh, evaluation by the authors of of SARFA. Uh, So engine strength doesn't have much effect. And for example, the weakest engine here is uh, quite okay. It has a low recall, high precision, And uh, the DF1 is is somewhere in, so that's the trade-off between recall and precision that's somewhere in the middle. Lila chess, interestingly, is is quite at uh, the end, doesn't perform so good overall. So then we, they were already included there, but we specifically looked at at strategic positions. In chess, you have two types of positions one can say tactical positions where you want to find a unique continuation, a sacrifice that is very surprising. You give away your queen, but you get the mate two moves later. Or in our case, we gave away the knight in this position in the beginning, uh, but we two moves later, we either win the queen or we have a mate. So that are usually very easy puzzles for, comput- puzzles for computers, harder for humans. And then there are also strategic positions where you, they are very quiet in a sense that there's not much action going on. Uh, And most of the chess books or many chess books are written about these. And uh, to to look for the differences here, we looked at the test that has been devised many years ago, the Bratko-Kopets test, that had 12 positions of each type, 12 strategical, 12 tactical, so that's here one uh, screenshot of the test. You can do it uh, online. And uh, you see there is not much action. Everything is blocked. And black should move here and break up that uh, that, that structure. That's a fairly natural move for a chess player. Um, and we tried again different uh, engines here. Um, you see that the ordering has somewhat changed. Lila now is in the middle. What surprised us a little bit is that the engines were actually better in predicting the positional uh, uh, explanations, than in predicting the tactical uh, ones, even though the engines are typically better in, in finding tactical moves than in strategic moves. At, at least that used to be the case. It is much less so now with these very good engines, Stockfish and Leela uh, can solve uh, these puzzles, uh, most of them quite, quite easily. Finally, we also looked at some, some end games. End games are, again, very difficult. Uh, because or very different uh, because you only have very few pieces on the board and there is no immediate action like we had in the beginning. So what you would like to do here as white is you want to go with the uh, move move with the kink here and, and try to get to that square, and then the <coughs> the pawns of the black player are, are pretty weak. And you can also get your knight to support that and black cannot do much because it has a a bishop that can only go on white squares and everything is on black squares so. But in order to judge that you would probably have to mark almost all these positions uh, all these pieces as important in order to see that there is something to intrude here. Uh, So again, endgame puzzles did not work very well. Uh, Here we have an outlier with Stockfish that has 100% precision, but it only, precision means if it marks up a square, is it correct? And it only marked up very, very few squares. Uh, So uh, there's no surprise that it it, it is so good because the recall is, is very low, didn't make many predictions. So, we analyzed these and we found some typical limitations. Uh, so, uh, we have sometimes overly specific maps, much too many squares annotated, overly general maps, only a few squares annotated, or actually, it's the other way around, uh, no matter. Uh, we have things like that here. Uh, this piece is important and this piece would be important in order to do for this mate to work. Uh, here also only one piece would be annotated. Uh, so um, we try to think how can we fix some of these problems and we came up with a few uh, techniques. Uh, the most important maybe is we try to implement something that marks up empty squares as well. And the idea is quite simple. Uh, what we tried is we tried to put the black pawn on an empty square and the white pawn on an empty square and we computed the saliency scores before and after the modification and uh, had that for all the empty squares and then we marked the top K for some value of K, for example, three uh, as, as salient. We had a few other very chess specific things, like uh, if you do a promotion, that is a a really important square. If your king is in check, uh, that is also something that you should uh, pay attention to uh if you threaten a piece and this piece is guarded by some other piece then this other piece is also important uh and uh, so on so these were a few minor hacks that all that that we also included in these improvements so here you see some of the maps that uh display the this feature of the empty squares. I like, for example, that one in the lower left here quite well, because it clearly exhibits the weakness in this position. Black has a weak position because it has many holes in on white squares and the white bishop is actually going to permeate this by playing that move, being backed up with the Queen and so on. So that works very well. Um, It There are also cases where it doesn't work so well. So these two squares, they do not make much sense why they are annotated, probably because a black pawn was put here and that would change the evaluation because it threatens that uh, knight. So there is clearly some more refinement uh, to do. Numerically, it worked quite okay in the sense that we could improve our F1 score, but primarily by increasing the recall Uh, And as it usually is, if you increase the recall, you also lose quite uh, a bit in in precision. So we marked up many much more squares than uh, than the original version. But uh, uh, some of these marks were not all of these marks were correct. So to conclude, the thing is, is useful for analyzing chess, it's maybe less useful for strategic or end game positions than for the tactical positions. Uh, We added some functionality. For example, this ability to annotate empty squares that helps to highlight weak squares. It improves recall at the expense of of precision. And uh, nevertheless, I think uh, this square-based annotation strategy is a bit limited. Uh, In particular, when I was preparing this talk, I realized I actually, when I want to show a position, I draw these arrows on the position. So this is maybe what we should focus on next to actually explain by moves by dynamics and not by static labeling. So I'm not sure where I'm on time, but I'm certainly not too short. So thanks for your attention.